did you notice that you said holy a lot while you were singing? Uh, let me tell you what, we talked about this this week, and it just hit me as we were singing. But you know what you do? You know what you're doing when you're singing on Sunday morning? Um, if, you, if you're a Jesus follower, part of what you're doing is you're practicing for eternity. Because the rest of your life, you after you die and you go on into eternity, right? You, you stand before Jesus and you just keep saying, holy. And it's not because you have to. You know, it, sometimes it, it reminds me sort of of the day I got married and I'm standing down front and, um, and, and Jess comes down, you know, and, and I don't want to embarrass her. She's not listening so good. But as, uh, you know, she comes down and, and when you see, you know, your bride on that day, you know, you're just kind of like, wow, wow. You know, and it's not because anybody makes you say, wow, you're just kind of overtaken a little bit, you know, and, and that's sort of the idea in heaven is you're just seeing, you know, you're seeing Jesus and you're just constantly going, holy, wow, holy. And, and that's sort of what you do when, when you praise. And so anyway, I just, as I sit there and I think of all those things, man, I think, how cool is this? Like, we're going to do this forever. And the only difference is we'll be better singers. And, um, that's going to be a lot of fun. So I, I don't know, that's totally extra. Um, I, I want to ask you to continue to pray for your core team uh, because this past week we talked about some of that stuff. Um, we also read through First um, John, and that was just a lot of real, real fun to be able to kind of do together. And we're just continuing this sort of planning for the future of the church. And I ask you to pray for them and to pray for me because pretty soon you're going to be sort of invited into that conversation. And it's just been a lot of fun to see um, the idea of what God is going to do and um, through us and through this church and this faith body. And, and I believe wholeheartedly that God is planning to do some some huge things. And so I just ask for you to continue to pray. We meet on Thursdays. we got a couple more weeks. And so um, so pray for that. Um, we jump into the text. Uh, I, I, was, um, I was spending some time this week, and I was kind of preparing to preach, and I listened to this guy, and he was preaching about you know, seeing things differently and some of what we're talking about, and he told this pretty funny story. Uh, he said he, he was talking about his niece, and he said his niece, um, her, um, her parents put her in a swim class, or I'm sorry, in a, on a swim team. And so she was, um, she loved the swim team, and uh, she loved the, going to the meets and all that kind of stuff, but she was a terrible swimmer. And so um, every time that they had a meet, she placed last. And uh, she, But she loved to do it, and they just kept going, but she was last every single time. And so her mom is sort of, they're, they're about to get ready to go swimming, and her mom's kind of giving her some tips. And she says, and this time when you go, you just swim as fast as you can and win. And uh, she said the, the daughter just looked at her and said, it's a race? And the whole time, she, she said, she said, I thought we were just here to meet people. It's called a swim meet. And, um, so, so she, she went out and true story, she went out and she won that day. And, uh, and she won a few more after that. Um, the truth is when you can see things for what they really are, you know, you tend to act a little bit different. Uh, you, when you can see them through someone else's eyes or for what they really are, you know, things go a little bit differently. You ever, you ever had um, a kid, you, you've been, you're in a hurry, um, but kids never seem to be in a hurry. You ever been trying to like drag your babysitting or it's your kid and they never seem to see the, the, the rush through your eyes? Even though where you're trying to get is to work so you can make money and buy groceries so that they can eat, but they just don't see it that way. And that's the day that they've forgotten everything and they want to be, 
They want to be a big girl that day and climb into the car on their own and everything the slowest way possible. And you're like, can you just see it my way? If I'm late again, I may be fired and we're going to live on the street. But they just don't seem to see it that way. And when we can see things through the eyes of someone who really gets it, man, everything looks a little bit different. It's kind of like the same thing I said last week. I think this is God with us often. If you could see it the way that I see it, I think you would do it a lot differently. Last week we talked about time. This week we jump in and talk about money. Man, if we could see money the way God sees money, I think we would handle it differently. And I know what you think as soon as I say that. You say, look, I'm going to tell you the same thing I told the panhandler at the gas station. Right? I don't have any money. It's all been accounted for. Um, You can ask the government or my children. They have the bulk of it. And so there's nothing left to give. But um, but I just want to say it's it's not really like that discussion that we have today. It's more of one of those like it's a race kind of moments where where I hope that that you you can just say, man, I'm wow. I didn't know that's how God saw money. And I, you know, and you just kind of have an aha moment that's like, wow, I just never really thought of it like that. That's kind of what I hope we get to today. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells this story, and it's where we really get this clear picture of how God sees money. Here's the interesting thing about this story that is a little bit different from today. Correct me if I'm wrong. But Jesus is telling this story to a lot of people who are very rich. He's telling this story to a whole bunch of rich guys, but not just a bunch of rich guys. He's telling it to people who are wealthy and who take pride in being wealthy. And they actually say things like, if you're wealthy, that must mean that you're righteous because God has blessed you. And the more wealthy you are, the more God has blessed you. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, some some people say some stuff like that. And Jesus, I believe here, is going to Sort of tell them just how wrong they are. But but that these people, that's the way that they feel. So you imagine this room full of people who are really wealthy and who tell everybody that the wealthier you are, the more righteous you are. And, and, and you're in there, and all of a sudden, Jesus stands up, and he says, I'm going to tell you how God sees money. Man, now you're, now you're, you know, you're listening up. Because either Jesus is going to prove you to be a liar... Or he's going to affirm what you've said. And this is going to be really, really significant for you. And here's what they say. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. It says, Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer, because you cannot be manager any longer. So he's going to fire him, right? He says, Bring me the books and you're fired. Verse 3, the manager says to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm too ashamed to beg. So I know what I'm going to do. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors, and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied, and he told him, take your bill and make it 800. Like, do you see what he's doing here? And these rich guys have kind of sort of be like, wow, this guy. I mean, can you believe what he's doing? He's trying to use for personal gain something that is not his to the detriment of the person whose it is. I mean, that's like the definition of the worst money manager ever. Taking your money, losing it so that he can make more money. Sounds like a stockbroker, right? 
verse 8. It says, the master commended the this, this is where it's throwing them off. Jesus says, but the master, instead of being incredibly angry, he commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Did they get the idea? It's like he looked at the guy and he says, I was firing you because I thought you were incompetent, right? Not because I thought that you were dishonest. Turns out you're really competent. You do know how to, how to make money and to settle debts and to take care of things. So, wow, there's more to you than I thought. I mean, you're still fired because you're stealing my money, I'm sure. But, man, you know, there's something different. Then Jesus kind of backs out of the, out of the story and he says this. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So check it out. Don't miss this because this is the way that God views money. Because this money manager, for for all of his dishonesty, recognized that money is a resource. And he also recognized that as a money manager, I don't have access to this money for a very long time. Like, I'm only going to get it for a little bit of time. So I've got to take what I've been given, and I've got to leverage it as much as I can to get as much as I can and to do as much as I can while I've got access to it. And what Jesus says is, essentially in verse 9, is he says, what I want you to do is I want you to use your wealth for some eternal purposes. This is what I would say. This is how God views money. God says, your money is a tool. It's just a tool that you get to use. Your money is a tool just like, just like many other things that you have. And not just your money, but all your resources. They're just tools that you get to use. Your house, your car, your couch, right? Whatever it may be, these are just tools that you get to use. And these are tools that God wants you to use for eternal purposes. He, he uses the word friends. The idea is God says, I want you to use these things that you've been given to make friends to further the sharing of the gospel, to serve widows and orphans, whoever that is in today's society. I gave you all these things, and and they're tools that you can use to have an eternal purpose. Because after all, you and I, we're just money managers. And we don't get to keep this stuff. We're just money managers doing the most with it that we can. And the reality is, just in case you hadn't heard, anything that you've accumulated doesn't go with you. And you don't get to keep it when all this is over. And so your collection of antique china dolls or whatever it is that you really brush and keep clean and you've made enemies of a lot of children because you don't let them touch them and whatever it is, when you go, you know what happens to that stuff? Your children sell it. And then somebody who you don't even know uh, gets to enjoy it because they're into it as much as you are. And all these things that we accumulate don't get to stay with us. And there's nothing wrong with a nice collection. I, I got a mug collection. I've got three mugs so far. So um, I'm, I'm really loving it. But the whole idea is, is how do you view your money? Collectively, how do you view your money and your stuff? Do you see your, your money and your stuff and your resources that God has given you? Is all that tools for the kingdom of heaven? Because here's something you maybe never thought of before. Your generosity matters beyond this life. Your generosity matters for eternity. The things that you accumulate will cease to matter. The things that you do with what you accumulate will matter forever. And the generosity that you, that you put forth towards other people, that stuff matters forever. 
Um, <clears throat> David Platt, we've talked about him a few times in here. He's a president of the International Missions Board, and um, and he's is the largest mission-sending agency in the world. They send more missionaries and, and, and raise more funds than any other mission board in the world. He actually went to a graduate school here in New Orleans, and he was here during Katrina. And he sort of tells the story of, of, of afterwards, and, and he says, before Katrina, we had really... You know, just like everybody, we'd filled our house up, you know, and, and it was, you know, he, he moved here, he finished graduate school, and, and they had some a little bit of money for the first time, and so they bought things like everybody does, and their house began to get full, and, and their lives were a, bit, a little bit cluttered, and then Katrina hit, and they just lost everything. And he talks about for, for, all, the, for all the mess that it was, it was a little bit liberating. And you didn't have to, you know, all the times you wanted to clean out your house and you started going through stuff and you were like, well, I can't get rid of this. I mean, I didn't know I had it, but now that I know I have it, I feel like I got to keep it. But, I mean, you didn't get to keep any of it. And he's saying, man, it was just kind of liberating. I remember when I, um, <clears throat> after Katrina, I was, at, I was in college, so it didn't really affect us that much, but it affected my parents a lot. So um, I went home and, and, and I was going to go home and bring them some stuff. And I was sort of expecting it to be like a World Vision commercial, you know, and uh, just everything so terrible. And uh, I pulled in the driveway, and uh, and my little brother's playing. They have no power, right? My little brother's playing baseball in the pool. I'm baseball in the pool, Lord. My little brother's playing baseball in the yard. My sister is, like, swimming in the pool. My parents are sitting on the porch, and they just look like they're loving it. I mean, except for waiting hours to get gas and ice, they look like they are totally enjoying themselves. And it sort of seems like not having access to all your stuff just sort of felt good. David Platt says, he says, you know, I was determined after we had to let go of everything to not pile stuff up again. He says, but pretty soon I just I looked around and here we were again with so much stuff and, and with the same feeling as we had before, like we were sort of a slave to our things and our bills and our cars and, and we couldn't do many of the things that we felt like God called us to do because we had just built our lives up in this way again. And telling the story, all he's really relaying is how much freer it is and how much clearer and less cluttered and how much more focused their lives are when they begin to see money the way God sees it and when they begin to see stuff the way that God sees it. See, Jesus is saying money is not for collecting stuff. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but but at now, well, maybe not, but now you probably have more money than you did, you know, back when you were young. And, and there were a lot of things that when you were younger you said you wanted. And now you got some of them and, and you just, and there are a few other things that you'd like to get. And the truth of it is it doesn't matter how much more you get, there's always something else that you'd like to have. And what Jesus is saying is, man, money's not for accumulating stuff. Money's a resource. And you can invest it in people. And you can invest it in the church. And when you invest it in those ways, there are eternal dividends. And the way that you spend that money lasts with you forever. But then if that's not enough, Jesus goes a step further. So if you think I'm bad about like stepping on toes, man, Jesus just mashes on people's toes, right? No concern. So, so Jesus doesn't stop there. After he says all that, then he goes on. Verse 13, look at that. He says, no one can serve two masters. He says, either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other, but you cannot serve both God and money. You know what I love about that? 
He doesn't say what I say sometimes. You know, like God first and, and then family second and then church third, you know, and we'll get on down the line and sort of the way that we spend our money and our resources and those kind of things. But what he says instead is God, chiefly and supremely. That's who you serve. And everything else you do with your money, it's not like it's not like he says, give to the church first and then just do do what you want with the rest because you gave some to the church, right? Or or, or just, just sort of live that way. He says, no, yeah, give some to the church and then buy a house that you invite people over to. And then buy a car that you give somebody a ride with. And, 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 and use all the resources that you have in serving God. Because sometimes what... Amen. And what I try to do is, is I want to serve God, and then I serve a lot of other things sort of secondarily. And he says, no, you can't serve both no matter what the order is. You cannot serve both God and money. Verse 14, finally, he directly calls out the Pharisees, these rich people that he's been talking to. And, and, and so finally he calls them out, and he says, verse 14, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this. And they were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. And what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. He says you cannot serve both God and money. And he says here's what you'll do to try to do that. He says you'll justify your actions. You'll say, I don't have it. I don't have enough to give. You'll say, my house is my sanctuary, and I just don't love to have people over because this is the place, this is my sanctuary. You'll say, I can't give people rides in my car. It's just not reasonable. You know, it's just not, it doesn't, this day and age, that's just not something that people do. You'll clamor about your budget, and then you'll go for broke when you identify something that you really want. That one hits me really hard, right? Because, man, I budget, and I want to give to the church, and I want to, and not just giving to the church, but I want to use my, my resources, you know, in a way that I think is wise. And so I'm budgeting both my time, man, really budgeting time, and really budgeting money. But then when there's something that I really want, somehow I find a way. And he says, you'll make a lot of excuses for the things that you won't do with your resources. Chief center here, that's me. But here's a reality that you'll see if you look for it. I know it in my own life. I see it all around me. Here's a reality that you'll see if you look for it. Generosity has nothing to do with how much you have. Generosity has nothing to do with how much you have. Poor people are generous with their apartments and their cars and their time. And anything that they have, they may be generous with it. And rich people are the same. And in the middle people are. All in there, those people are generous. And then poor people are stingy. And then in the middle, people are stingy. And then wealthy people are stingy. Because generosity tends to have nothing to do with how much you have. And generosity with all your resources has nothing to do with how much of it that you have. Instead, generosity is a matter of the heart, not the pocketbook. Because generosity is about about what you're willing to give, not how much you have. The Bible says the Pharisees heard this and they walked away mad frustrated. Their love for money, and not just money, right? Because I don't care if I have money. What I really care about is, is the things that I can get with money, you know? What I care about is, 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 for some people, it's the security that money brings. For some people, it's the prestige that money brings, you know? And, and, and he says, man, the Pharisees heard this, and they walked away incredibly mad. They were so frustrated. Their frustration continued to boil to the point that they crucified Jesus. 
And you can go that route. You can be incredibly frustrated. Or you can say, God, how would you have me use my time? God, how would you have me use my house? God, how would you have me use my car and and, and my yard and my resources and my money? God, how would you have me use those things? And then begin making the changes in your life to see them the way that God sees them. Because, right, if I'm correct about most of us, we can't say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to open up my house to to people who need it, and I'm going to start to give a ton of money to the church. And you'd say, but that's just, I can't even do that. I haven't built my life that way. So I'm saying, don't try to begin in a place that you can't begin. Just begin by saying, God, what would you have me do? And then begin to walk in that way. Let me guarantee you something. If you begin to see things the way that God sees them, you'll feel freer. You'll pass on something to your children that you could have never passed on otherwise. Doesn't it seem like the more you give someone, the more that they ask for? Man, how about giving them something that fills them, something that has some eternal value? This is how you were meant to live. This is how we were meant to see things. I'll end by saying this. This church building was built. Uh, Live Oak Church was, was planted. And the good news uh, uh, about Jesus and salvation was preached around the world and here in this place because God is good and people were obedient and there were a heck of a lot of people that were willing to part with both their time and their money. And God used those resources to do some things with eternal value. And people did those things at the expense of themselves because that's how it always goes. I pray that we would begin to see all of our resources, not just as individuals, but as the church. May we see them the way that God sees them. Let me pray. God, we praise you for um, we praise you for the resources that you've given us. We talked just earlier about the country that we live in.